We've all heard it before. You need to have a healthy diet and get plenty of exercise. But how do you translate that into information that's right for you? Well, hi, I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover and welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. Today, we're going to focus on the changes our body goes through as we age and how our nutritional and exercise needs change as well. I am thrilled to be talking with a true pioneer who has been at the forefront of combining integrative and holistic approaches to tackle the nutrition and fitness challenges we experience as we enter perimenopause and menopause. We'll also shed light on the real risks of osteoporosis and share tips on how to safeguard our bones. And we'll talk about what it means to be frail and what we need to do to keep ourselves, to quote our guest, Dr. Pamela Peak, fit for life. And just a reminder, the information that you're going to hear is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. As always, we encourage you to share the information with your healthcare provider and discuss your specific healthcare needs. I am so thrilled to introduce our guest today, someone I've actually admired from afar for a long time, so it's wonderful to actually get to meet her in person. Dr. Pamela Peake is a nationally renowned physician, scientist, expert, and thought leader in the fields of women's health, integrative, and preventive medicine as well. Her list of accomplishments and accolades are long and well-deserved, and currently she is an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Maryland and chief medical officer of Bone Health Technologies. Welcome, Pam. Well, I'm just so happy to finally see you, Mitzi. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to see you as well. So you have such an amazing background and resume, really, but you really were a pioneer in the intersection of medicine, fitness, and nutrition. How did you first become interested? You know, it's interesting. Um, I have, my brain works um, in an integrative and holistic way. And, um, you know, I, I just did not understand why we couldn't have a more comprehensive understanding um, of the mind and body throughout my uh, training. Um, And so where it didn't exist, I just filled in the gaps, as it were. So when I was at the University of California at Berkeley, um, you know, I saw the first signs. And that was, although I was uh, pre-med and I had a, a primary interest in cellular biology, etc., at the same time, I had a secondary um, uh, goal, and that was conservation of natural resources. So um, there I was out in the woods in the forest. At the same time, I was also in anatomy lab, and um, I really saw myself as putting together a mind-body ecosystem, as it were. Um, but I was a bit ahead of my time, and so... Um, <laughs> And I wanted to fill in even more blanks, which is why I have a double master's in um, public health, public policy in Berkeley before I went to med school. And then I was disappointed to find that there was no formal training in nutrition, no formal training in physical activity. And the biggest joke of all is if you went to a magazine, Mitzi, and, and you wanted to change up your nutrition or your physical activity... They always said in the article, please consult your physician first. Great. The most (laughs) clueless person in the room. Just, you know, go to that person. And um, I just thought that was ridiculous. 
So after my traditional training in internal medicine and critical care, I went back into academia to become a Pew Scholar in nutrition and metabolism. At the same time with physical activity, it was a little easier for me because I was a tomboy, I was an athlete, and I continue as such to this day. So I'm on the board of trustees of the American College of Sports Medicine, where we write the national guidelines and work with a global population um, of uh, fitness professionals to be able to keep this on the up and up and science-based. So, you know, it just always occurred to me that what I really wanted to do was present to every patient who came to me, to my colleagues, um, and to academics and back and forth, a more holistic way of doing this, which is how I stumbled into the National Institutes of Health as a senior research fellow um, at the very time, you know, there's something in my life about timing, at the very time that the Office of Alternative Medicine, which is now called the National Center for the Study of Complementary Medicine, um, was established. And here, I, if you can believe it, nutrition and physical activity were seen as kind of alternative, you know, medical therapies. I'm like, what? What are you, crazy? This should be mainstream. And so flash forward now, it is. Right. You know, it's it's always been ironic to me that, you know, if you look at, for example, Chinese medicine, yes. they actually look at food as medicine. And so um, they were ahead of, uh, ahead of us, certainly. And so, you know, what do you think are some common misconceptions that people have about diet and exercise? Okay, it's fad, fad, and fad. And if you, if you look at a basic foundational understanding of nutrition, it's, it's diversity in how you eat, oftentimes seasonal, depending upon obviously where you, know, you live, number one. Number two, whole foods. Okay, I don't mean the, the, the store. I mean, right. I right. mean yeah, explain like whole, what whole foods is. Yeah, th these are natural plants. Um, especially uh, that you, you, you seek out as, as raw produce and you do something radical called cook. You know, cook has become a four-letter <laughs> word. That is radical in my, my home. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, you know, uh, when, you, when you actually look at these centenarians around the world, um, they cook. They cook with natural ingredients and, um, you know, they really, they've integrated it into their life. Not, you know, their, their whole lifestyle is basically more of a natural-based way of, of living. So, you know, in Okinawa, uh, they go out and they garden. And uh, if you've, you know, I'm a gardener, definitely. And uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you, it's a whole lot of work. Um, and you're bending, pushing, pulling, there's endurance, balance, flexibility, etc. So they have their own little gym while they're growing nice green things and they're picking them themselves and they have more control over what they do. And to this end, you know, this all sounds really nice. Um, I really want to be incredibly sensitive to the fact that we have food deserts, that we have um, a paucity <laughs> of good resources um, for this. And, and to that end, I wanna say that we should be putting every ounce of effort that we have 
into improving that around the world, around the world, not just in, in, in this country. I couldn't agree more. Well, let's shift a little bit and get more specific about women's health. And um, what are some of the differences that you see either in the ways that uh, women approach this issue or even with respect to their own bodies? When I came to the National Institutes of Health, women were not even included in um, the vast majority of research done. And so that included, you know, hypertensive drugs, cardiovascular disease, you know, I could go on. And so what was happening was this uh, this crazy extrapolation from a man to a woman. Anyone crazy enough who wants to do that deserves the nightmare that's going to be happening because it's, it's deadly. There are certain drugs that work really well for men that will kill women and then vice versa. So when Bernadine Healy, the one and only woman who ever headed up the NIH, came on board, she developed a motto, not one penny from me, i.e. the NIH, um, unless you include women where it's, where it's obviously appropriate. I mean, obviously not prostate cancer and whatever, but uh, you need to include them. And women started becoming integrated into research. So you see, when you ask this question, Mitzi, you know, what about women and how they you know, look at it and everything? Women have been misled. Women have been, um, you know, given... Uh, uh, the incorrect information about themselves. I mean, to this day, menopause itself is listed under genitourinary diseases for billing purposes. Now, the last time I looked, menopause is like menstruation. It is an absolutely natural part of our hormonal journey. So, when did I become a disease state? A disease, right. It's crazy. And so, you know, in answer to your question, you know, when women are fed this, then how do you think they're supposed to feel? They feel lost. They feel alone. They're, they're not sure where they're supposed to get their guidance from. The whole thing becomes kind of a mishmash. And um, so they stumble along and they see some bling on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and they go, well, that must be the way to do it. And the person who's blinging away has absolutely no credibility whatsoever, other than the fact that they're, you know, some kind of an influencer at any age or back and forth. And what we need is much better information, much higher level credibility uh, behind the information. And I see now an emergence of that through um, many of the virtual uh, telehealth and telemedicine platforms that are beginning to um, arrive on the scene. I see more apps. I see um, a lot better content. Um, it's not all perfect by any means, but you know something compared to 20 years ago, you know, it's, it's a leap ahead. When you approach a woman who might be going through perimenopause or menopause, are there special considerations that you consider when helping counsel with respect to diet or exercise? Absolutely. First of all, something you should know, Mitzi, <laughs> 
The mass majority of women have absolutely no clue as to what you're saying when you say perimenopause. Peri means around the time of, right? So what it is, is it really should be kind of pre-menopause, because um, then women would kind of understand that better. But hey, you know. So, so from around the age of 40 to 52, and that's 12 years last time I looked, a woman is beginning to slowly wean off her sex hormones, um, and that's primarily estrogen, progesterone, with testosterone kind of tootling along on its usual, you know, journey. It's really an estrogen rules on this one um, because it is so potent and so powerful. So while this is going on, it's it's not a like a deep dive, you know, suddenly overnight you don't have any estrogen. You can't do that to the human body when since the age of, I don't know, 12 um, you've been dependent upon estrogen in almost every tissue of your body. So you need to have an extremely slow wean. And that's what happens over the course of about 10 years. A lot of this is happening stealthfully. You don't even know what's going on until suddenly weird things start happening. What we've now discovered in science is that a harbinger of, of this peri pre-menopause um, uh, time, and, and I'll get to the nutrition and physical activity because it impacts on this, is um, the fact that a woman begins to feel weird anxiety. So out of the blue, she'll be just walking along all of a sudden, boom, it's almost like a panic attack. First thing she says is, I'm going out of my mind. Um, I'm, you know, whoa, I need more sleep or something. It's, it turns out, no. What's happening is estrogen cruises along with one of its best friends, cortisol, which is stress hormone. In my laboratory at the National Institutes of Health, this is what I study, cortisol. And what we found was uh, estrogen and cortisol um, are BFFs. So when estrogen is chaotic, so also is stress hormone. And when stress hormone's chaotic, you get anxiety and panic. And women are never told this, so they suffer silently, all right? So let's just say for grins that you want to get up in the morning and, man, you want to exercise at the gym and, and do your thing or, or just go outside for a run or something, and then that weird anxiety thing hits you. Well, you don't think that's going to impact upon the quality of your run or you're wanting to be consistent and stay on top of it? What happens when a woman feels that? And, and she's feeling helpless, hopeless, and defeated with these weird feelings of anxiety that keep cropping up. She's going to eat more. I wrote the book, The Hunger Fix, all about, you know, this knee-jerk response to want to put food in your face, you know, to comfort yourself when you're feeling anxiety. Well, that's not good um, because, you know, then you're going to pile on weight. And speaking of which, as estrogen um, is beginning to decline right? Then women shapeshift. So as I always say, it's sort of my trademark phrase about this. One day you look in the mirror and you look like an hourglass. And then, you know, you enter perimenopause at some point. Now you look in the mirror and you look like a shot glass. And, and that means <laughs> that suddenly everything kind of moved upstairs to the <laughs> abdominal area. And, and you're like, well, well, wait a minute, what happened to my nice little hourglass figure? And my waist is sort of you know, beginning to get all, you know, puffy and everything. That's part of the shape-shifting. So let's, let's get to it then. 
Now, what I will tell you, and here's a little, you know, hint, hint. Um, if you're taking care of yourself physically, we, meaning that you're getting appropriate physical activity, which I'll, you know, describe in more detail. And then um, you're also eating well and you're trying to stay away from um, the ultra processed foods and the chaotic 24-7 eating. Hello, ladies. Uh, the 24-7 eating, um, the alcohol at nighttime, right, and the rotten sleep. All right. If you've had rotten sleep, the last thing on your mind in the morning is to take care of yourself. So if you, if you take care of yourself on a foundational level, then the symptoms that occur in perimenopause, menopause will be minim minimized, guaranteed. And that includes hot flashes, that includes sleep impairment and all the other little goodies that go along with this. So let's get really, you know, let's get down to it. One, every single day, humanly possible, you will get in some uh, endurance. That means you walk as much as you absolutely can. Right now, as I'm talking to you, Mitzi, I'm standing up at my, my what is this thing, a, a versadex, um, so that um, I'm not sitting. So I'm standing, and then I move around a little bit and back and forth. You want to stay as vertical as possible and add some more intensity to it. When you add more intensity to it, so when I'm walking with my beloved German Shepherds, if I see a hill, I attack it. I go for it, like in a big way. Um, I'm not going to go break out in a sweat and go, oh, it's a hill, and I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to hear that, okay? We're not going to go there. So you're going to, you know, add more intensity. Why? Because as you age through your 40s, 50s, and beyond, you become metabolically less efficient at cooking those little fat cells, you know, the fat inside them as fuel. So you need to kind of, you know, ramp it up here as much as you can. I'm a firm believer in twice a week of high-intensity interval training, which only seriously is like 15 to 20 minutes of, of you know, of, of increasing the intensity of some kind of an endurance something or the other. You know the cheap and dirty way to do it is my go-to. I'm a kettlebell queen. You know, first of all, you don't need a gym. Just buy a kettlebell. Um, and what you do is there is no way not to be intense with the kettlebell. It just doesn't work that way. So what you do is you do kettlebells for about 15 minutes, maybe even 20. <clears throat> you do swings. You know, you do deadlifts. There's a million things you can do. There's like endless YouTubers. I like kettlebell kings as one of the best go-tos for <laughs> beginners, etc. And you get it over with. I could do it anywhere, you know, um, and it's the simplest thing, but it gives you high-intensity interval training that will hit not only endurance, but balance, strength, and flexibility as well. So, you know, that's an easy way. Other than that, just hop on an elliptical and let it rip, or jog, <laughs> run, you know, do anything like that. You must weight lift, even if it's just your body weight. Why? Because you're starting to drop muscle mass too. And that, then, you know, you're not going to be able to, again, cook the calories as you start moving through perimenopause, menopause, and beyond. Strength training, you know, for, you know, for sure twice a week, three times a week, just break it up. Do it for like 20 minutes. 
You don't have to kill yourself. You don't have to become a gym rat. There are so many alternatives. In my book, Body for Life for Women, you know, I was the first physician to get out there and to yell and scream about pay attention to body composition. Hop off the damn weight scale and get onto the body composition scale and, and pay attention to how much body fat you have, how much muscle mass you have, how much bone you have, because that's what counts as you start coursing through your 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. When you actually enter menopause at the age of 52, if you've been doing what I've been telling you, then you're going to have such an easier go of it um, as your body adapts to a new normal of, you know, no menstrual cycles. Um, and it'll probably take about three to five years post-menopause for you to absolutely stabilize. And then you'll feel 50 times better because you already have a strong foundation um, for continuing this little party. You absolutely have to hold on to that muscle mass. So terribly important. That's a great segue because uh, I actually w attended a talk that you did here in Phoenix. You know, that was many years ago, but it has really stuck with me because you talked about the need to be fit, not just for looks or overall health, but really a very practical reason. You may really literally need to save your life at some point. And that image uh, really stuck with me. So talk a little bit about that and what you meant by that and how do you do that? You know, um, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, when I uh, published Fit to Live, um, which was another one of my New York Times bestsellers, um, it was about that very thought. I, you know, it actually became um, the basis of my Discovery Health television series called Could You Survive? You know, it was my dream to be able to impress people um, with the fact that something could happen in your life to your point, where you need to save your life and or someone else's. And literally, could you? So if you, you know, I, I remember the opening um, episode was uh, we shot everything in Los Angeles. Um, and we had this big building that was actually used for a James Bond movie because um, it's got a helipad on the top. And so um, we had innocent people of all kinds of... Uh, uh, you know, that we had casted who were slender, overweight, tall, men, women, whatever, you know, just your common, wonderful people. And we told them to show up um, on the middle floor of this tall building. And they thought they were going to get a physical examination from me. I was wearing a white coat and everything, kind of faking it out. <laughs> and then uh, we told them, well, oh my goodness, the fire alarm just went off. And of course, the fire alarm went off. You know how TV is. It's all drama. <laughs> um, and we said, you're going to have to get the heck out of here. Okay, so there's the staircase. Knock yourself out. So they're running all the way down the stairs. Anyone who's ever run downstairs knows, ow, you know, with the knees and the rest of it. And do you have the energy? Do you have the strength? Do you have the stamina? And then when they got to the second floor, they were met by uh, firefighters who said, Nope, I'm sorry. You can't come down here. There's flames everywhere. You're gonna have to go to the you're gonna have to go to the top floor now. And there were like you know 30 floors. It was insane. And so 
had to go all the way up. And everywhere they went, there were obstacles, you know, like walls had fallen down and just crazy stuff going on. And uh, no one made it. They all died, as it were, um, <laughs> metaphorically. And right. so we put them through training for six weeks with um, two god-awful Marine uh, Marines who uh, put them through a boot camp. And at the final episode, they all made it through because it doesn't even take that long to be able to really pick up enough stamina, strength, endurance um, to be able to save your life. So to your point, as a woman is aging, right, what if you're now 55? You're all by yourself and an accident occurred. You fell down, right? And you need to get up off the floor. Can you? You know, there's no front end loader showing up to help you out. And if you think about it, when you want to get off the floor, what is that, right? Just think about what you're doing there. It's a push-up. Think about it. When you want to push yourself up now, want to, you know, and then you roll over, you know, it's it's a push-up. Do you know how to do a simple bent knee push-up? If you could do a push-up, which involves many uh, muscles, up to, you know, mm -hmm. six to seven muscles, even more, um, then that's fantastic. Because that means that should you fall, then you could get yourself up fairly easily. Let's just say maybe you kind of injured yourself a little bit, but you still need to get up to ask for help and, you know, get to that cell phone or whatever's going on here. So there's that. What if, what if you're walking along the sidewalk and your grandchild, you know, um, decides to dart in front of you toward traffic? You know, did they just, you know, you lost their little hand in your hand and off they went. Can you run fast enough to grab that child? And that child weighs, you know, 25 pounds, 30, whatever. Can you grab them? Hello? Because um, if you can't, that's a problem. So this is why I look at strength as functional. This is functional. Exactly. Can you live independently as long as you can? Can you assume the vertical for as long as you can? Because that is called living the health span, not a lifespan. I don't care how long you live if you're miserable. I want you to live a health span, meaning years where you can be robust and, and live a vibrant, fulfilling life, mentally, physically, spiritually, um, and, and do the best you can with that and not be, you know, horribly impaired by chronic disease and all the rest of it. You do the best you can. Sure. And one of the challenges to, to that is osteoporosis which is thinning of the bones. Women are more likely to get it than men, but certainly men do um, have it as well. Um, and you also had talked about, I remember in the speech about frailty, and that if you start becoming frail, then that's really hard to come back from. And um, some people with osteoporosis, I think, are more likely to be on that journey, if you will. You are the Chief Medical Officer of Bone Health Technologies. Tell us a little bit about that and how osteoporosis uh, really factors into what we were just talking about and what we can do about it. Thank you, Mitzi. Well, you know, I'm all about um, kind of trying to be a front-runner pioneer 
where there are huge gaps. So I've worked with, you know, uh, other devices um, that also speak to the gaps in um, menopausal care. This one is called the Osteo, as in bone, Boost, the Osteo Boost. This is a, a belt. Um, it looks like a little fanny pack, and you wear it um, so that it hangs right at the top of your little butt crack, um, so that it's in good <laughs> contact with your sacrum, and it can also reach um, the heads of your hip bones, you know, um, your femoral heads. Now, what is this all about? And, and, you know, I'm a geek and a scientist and a clinical investigator, so, you know, now you got my interest. Well, if we all remember the headlines a number of years back that they found out, whoops, um, when we send astronauts up to space and they have no gravity, then they start losing bone. And if you're up in the space station for a year, that's terrible because you're going to lose bone. And um, the reason why is you have no stimulus to the bones by the pounding of walking and jumping and things like this. You have absolutely, um, you know, no way to be able to um, stimulate the bones enough so that the osteoblasts, the cells that make bone, um, are able to continuously make new bone. So then all of a sudden the NASA scientists said, wow, um, and then they went back and they tried to figure out, like, how can we do this up in space and make it easy and back and forth? So that's when they discovered that when you deliver vibrations, specific vibrations, um, uh, at a certain level uh, to the uh, spine and um, to, you know, that whole area of the femoral um, heads, that what you can actually do is stimulate bone. Um, formation and decrease, um, if not mitigate, um, the uh, the bone loss that these people have. Well, that got a whole lot of people thinking, well, if it's good for the astronauts, it's got to be good for <laughs> us down here. So um, the Bone Health Technology um, Company was born of the creation of basically a wearable NASA um, kind of device that uh, anybody, men and women, um, can utilize uh, to be able to mitigate this. So uh, Bone Health Technology developed this belt um, and uh, is in the process of doing clinical trials with it right now um, to be able to uh, uh, partner with uh, groups like UC San Francisco um, and some of the top uh, scientists um, in uh, osteoporosis and osteopenia. And what Bone Health Technology wanted to do was address the 53 million, um, mostly women, who are osteopenic. Now, what does that mean? It means you don't yet have osteoporosis, but you're starting to lose bone. Well, guess what? Um, there's, there's no therapy for them, but one of the things they absolutely need to do is strength training and they need to do pounding exercises even if you're just pounding in place. Um, I'm not asking people to run. I'm not asking people to jog. I mean I'm a triathlete. I'm here to tell you that we're just a bunch of freaks um, and uh, the grand majority <laughs> of people should just go walk and that's great but you've got to walk 
a lot every day. I mean, try to get in those eight to 10,000 steps a day because your body weight is so important. But you've got to absolutely address strength training um, because that stimulating the muscle and, st- you know, helps stimulate the bone. Mm-hmm. And then it's a beautiful domino effect. And so then you add what we're hoping is the belt, which we've already found in our um, pivotal study, um, which is now in the process of uh, being submitted for publication, that we um, were able to make a serious dent into uh, the decline in bone mineral density. And so, you know, we're hoping to be able to get this available to women everywhere um, soon. You know, it's really interesting. Get this. You probably read a lot of the headlines about the side effects of osteoporosis um, drugs, you know, um, and even though they seem to be, you know, kind of infrequent, I'm not going to use the word rare, I don't know, um, but they made enough headlines where women just ran the opposite direction and it involved jaw necrosis of your jawbone and and um, actually, there were some ev- there were some headlines about uh, some of the drugs actually made it easier to break bones. Oh no! Don't don't in, have in me strange do- places. Exactly, and so yeah. you know, women yeah. women said no, and plus, you'd be on this drug forever, and we don't even have a lot of that data. And so, only six percent, less than ten percent of women who should be on some kind of, you know, bone reformation, you know, drug, um, are on it. Less than 10%. And that means that 90% are just walking around desperate for a more natural way to be able to address this issue without taking drugs that scare them. And we've talked about strength training and that impo- and the importance of that. What about anything that uh, folks can do with diet? Okay, well, listen, ladies, come on now. Get your calcium, 1,500 milligrams a day. Find it one way or the other. You know, the easiest way is your supplement. But make sure, number one, that you're taking vitamin D. Um, Now, how much vitamin D? Well, this is simple. You march right into your doctor's office or your primary care person and say, I absolutely need to have a vitamin D level. Okay, for years we never looked at them, you know, because no one understood, you know, how important <clears throat> vitamin D actually was on so many fronts, immunologic and otherwise. Now, the level you're, you're, you're going for, right, is 50 to 70. Just remember that range. Now, remember the old adage, oh, you know, just stand, uh, you know, in front of a, uh, you know, the sun and go outside for 15 minutes. Yeah, you can blow that off. Number one, most people are SPF'd all over the place, so you're blocking the sun anyway. (laughs) And number two, something weird's going on globally. So many people around the globe in very sunny countries like Australia, you know, Canada, etc., 
Okay, they have very low vitamin D levels. They're not getting it through supplements. Mm. They're not getting it through their food. And there also seem to be other issues like receptor issues and stuff that, that are a little hairier. So I'm begging everyone to walk around. You know what your cholesterol is. You need to know what your vitamin D level is too. Because what's the point of taking all that calcium if you have no vitamin D on board to be able to absorb it? So that's what's important. Then look for calcium-rich foods, you know, yogurts and dairy, and it's even in kale and really neat places you didn't even think about. So, you know, be, become very smart and individualize that nutrition for yourself. Exactly. And any other foods that we need to uh, think about? Well, you know, protein. Okay, now ladies, if you're going to be strength training, what is the point? If you don't have the amino acids that are required to be able to, you know, uh, be the building blocks for your muscle. So here's the way you do it. Take your weight. Okay, I'm just going to, you know, come up with like about 145 pounds. You know, it's an easy number, right? Now, that's it with the weight in pounds. Divide it by 2.2, which will convert it to kilograms. That'll take you to about mm, 65-ish. You know, um, multiply that times 1.4, and that is the number of grams um, that a woman needs on a daily basis for protein. Guaranteed, put my absolutely, bet all my money on it, that you're not getting it. So for this woman in particular, I'm just coming up with the numbers, 145, about 65 times 1.4, she's really going to be around 90 grams. You're like, 90 grams? Now, here's what you need to do. Make your life protein-centric. Spread it out throughout the day. Do you know just a, a wonderful, I use the Icelandic yogurts especially, I love them. Um, 15 grams of protein, throw on some walnuts, you get 20 grams, boom, right there in the morning. And then you could do a protein shake. I'm a huge believer in those. They have plant-based proteins, all kinds of great options out there. That's another 20 grams. Let's just see. Now that was up to 40. Now if I have a really great, you know, protein-centric um, lunch um, and I add in another 20 to 25, I'm already up to 60. It's like, come on now, we can do this. Don't be waiting for one meal. And plus, you know, at one time you can't um, absorb any more than 30 to 40 grams at a time. So don't think you're just gonna whack it all down at one time. You cannot do that. It'll just come out in your urine. So, you know, <laughs> please spread it out. And, and so protein is huge. I love the examples you gave because vegans and vegetarians can also use that as well. Absolutely. All day long, get tofu, legumes, nuts, seeds, you know. I mean, you know, there's so many different... Um, you know, uh, dietary intakes out there, flexitarian and pescatarian. Just I haven't heard of flexitarian. <laughs> flexitarian means like one day I'm vegetarian, the next day I'm not. <laughs> and you basically, you know, people come in and out. It's an, a very dynamic situation. And that's one of the reasons why, please, individualize it, customize it for yourself. Absolutely. So before we leave, what did I not ask you that you think is important for our listeners to know? It is never too late. You know, if women are listening right now, Mitzi, and going, you know, like I'm 49 and I'm a disaster, 
And I'm like, yeah, well, thanks for sharing. Here's what you're going to do. <laughs> That's called day zero, right? So take a moment, start prepping. Tomorrow's day one, right? And you just keep moving it forward. Stop looking in the rear view mirror and saying, oh, I wish I had my hips of a 20 year old. And, eh. You know, um, <laughs> and I look at me, I'm, I'm 30 pounds over, or I'm obese or whatever the issue is, or I'm just this, you know, uh, a skinny fat person, meaning someone who is slender, but they don't have an ounce of muscle on them. Um, and frailty is just around the corner. And by the way, BTW, if you hit frailty, there's no going back. You never, ever want to be frail. So you do everything you can to stay strong. So what's the what definition I'm, of frail? The inability to literally get out of a chair without assistance. The inability, you know, to be able to walk, um, you know, a, a simple distance without significant assistance. Um, it's literally you've become dysfunctional. And, and that is very, very tough. Um, I, I, I pray that no one out there, um, if it's within your control, you know, becomes frail. Um, so I want you to be strong mentally, physically, spiritually. And right now, right now is the day to start if you haven't been doing this all along or to restart. Oh, I was so good until, you know, eight years ago and then everything went <laughs> to hell. Okay, fine. Thanks for sharing again. Um, now today is day one. Let's get this baby moving and just bite your, bite your tongue, move forward, have a strategy, get your A-team around you and, and keep consistency. That's all. So it's never, ever too late. That's terrific advice. Dr. Pamela Peek, thank you so much for being with me. I know I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Thank you. Um, and thank you so much, Mitzi, for this opportunity to share the message. Wow, we covered a lot of ground here, and I hope you found some tips you can put into practice right now. You know, we'd love to hear from you and how you're navigating your diet and exercise choices. You can comment on our social media and on our website forum at beyondthepapergown.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter so you can stay informed about our podcast and women's health happenings and news. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate us. It really does help us get noticed. Thanks, as always, for listening. Take good care. Our podcast was produced by Patrick Shambayati and me, and our associate producer is Kyla McMillian.